0: So there's this new bar space on East Fremont called Cheap Shot. It's a place for strong drinks and an ever-changing lineup of talent whose acts delightfully range from, wow, that was unexpectedly wonderful, to what the hell did I just see? Today on CityCast Las Vegas, we talk with Amy Saunders, aka Misbehave, the impresario behind it all, who spills the secrets of the saucy success of Cheap Shot and the journey to Las Vegas to make it happen. It's Monday, September 26, 2022. I'm David Figler, and this is CityCast Las Vegas. You are known by many names. Amy Saunders, the uh, Mistress of Mirth, the Grand Dame of Dirty Dirty. i made those last two up, but I think they're appropriate. <laughs> How should I refer to you during this interview?
1: Uh, Amy or Miss B. And I'm also Amy. Amy, you know, the one that... And what I just did was I made a reference to Deep Throat. Oh, yeah, people you did. Will just you did. With the sword. So I'm known by many names. My first stage name was Trash because I was in a freak show, and my backstory was I was found in a trash can. Oh, my. So, <laughs> you know, it was a good name. It worked at the time. I'm going to go with so,
0: misbehave, because i that's my beautiful. favorite, and that's how I was first introduced to you. But, yeah, misbehaving, misbehave misbehaves. Um, Perfect. So how did you land in Las Vegas? Because you've been here for a little bit now. How long?
1: I have. I've been here five years.
0: Wow. That's five like years. a lifetime for most. So It I, really is. How did you get yeah. here?
1: Well, I've been... Performing for a long time. I mean, the sort of truncated version would be, I didn't even want to be a performer. It sort of all just ended up happening accidentally. I started life uh, leafleting in Leicester Square and sort of busy populated areas in London, selling nightclubs. And that, I think, was my performance training. But still, no interest in performing. So leafleting
0: would just be promoting or or trying to hustle people to come inside?
1: Yep. Okay. Yep. Uh, And with with the sort of British uh, Central London vibe, You know, one of the ways of doing that was roasting people, really. So I think my gift for The Gap was developed leafleting. And then one day, I was um, passing a really quirky bookshop near where I used to live, and they had a book in the window, and it said, Memoirs of a Sword Swallower. And I thought, ooh. And I went in, and I bought it, and read it, and I went, I want to be able to do that. Now, there are a variety of reasons why I felt like I would be naturally well-suited to that, but... I'm unclear of what age range of your podcast, so let's move past just in case effing and blinding is not appreciated.
0: I think it's six to 69s or something like that. So
1: let's leave it then and keep it the PG version. And for those that are not PG, fill in the gaps. But nonetheless, I felt I could be quite expertise quite easy.
0: You were going to fill in the gaps.
1: (laughs) There you go. And so I taught myself sword swallowing, which most sword swallowers do. Mm -hmm. Right. So, you know, it sounds on the one hand, you're like, what? And then on the other hand, oh, most of them do. And I was right. I did have an actual aptitude for it. I also had a bit of a death wish, um, so I didn't particularly care. And then what followed there was me uh, at a few bars and pubs in the West End, jumping on a bar on a Friday, Saturday night, taking five minutes and busking for my supper. So I'd passed the pint glass after I'd swallowed the sword and stapled a note to my forehead. And then I fell in love with street performers. I I went up to an edit. I was doing the Edinburgh Festival with... um, freak show and i really i didn't know that street performing could be so funny and so free so
0: you had worked your way to the edinburgh fringe is that what you said or
1: yep wow Um, that and that was with. so what happened was after i'd been doing that for a little while i joined up with a freak show it was a very it was a very hardcore very theatrical freak show we did the sort of student union gigs in the uk we went around europe a little bit and then we went to the edinburgh festival And we were sort of a sleeper hit. And I met a lot of street performers that year. And I saw street performing in a way I'd never seen it, which was free, funny, improvisational, rude. I'd never seen people be rude. You know, it it had always been very family entertainment. I suddenly went, hang on a minute. I became obsessed with street performing and was terrible at it, but sort of went around the world trying to be better and got better. And from there, from a lot of us performing late night in festivals as sort of spot acts in this beautiful tent run by... Amazing. I mean, that is what hospitality looks like. Right. From that, they decided to try putting on a show, and that was La Clique, which we then did in 2004 and then 2005, and then went to New York under the name Absinthe in 2006. And so what we were doing was amazing spectacle, high skill, beautiful, sexy. There was funny things in it, but I love comedy. So, of course, I go off and make my own variety shows, which were way more comedy leaning, working with insanely high maintenance, love them all, but high maintenance clowns, etc. And we're sort of doing that concurrently. Are Um, there
0: low maintenance clowns out in the world?
1: There are a few.
0: Okay. So as you're following your own comedy pathway, does Amy and Misbehave become a synonymous or does Misbehave become an alter ego of sorts?
1: I'd say misbehave is kind of, um, you know, in, in the clown world, you'd call it personage, which is basically Amy times Amy, which is just the heightened version of, uh, it's, you know, in a way it's your clown, right? Because it's the heightened version of yourself when you're on stage. Um, so I think they are sort of melded. The additional reason I think they're sort of melded is because I am relatively singular and focused and quite intense. So... I don't really have a life, right? So Amy hangs out with Misbehave way more because Amy doesn't really have a life. She's an introvert that hangs out at home with her cats. Misbehave, on the other hand, she can swing that party for 24 hours if you need to.
0: Well, help me out here and describe, <clears throat> describe Misbehave to someone who's never seen her on stage.
1: Mm. Uh, an androgynous drag queen, gender not clear, not by design, just by how it works out, <laughs> loud brash funny and quick with silly skills
0: which i would include amongst those silly skills a wicked tongue
1: a wicked tongue in all
0: respects of the word
1: indeed costuming is very very important to me it's why i could never be a stand-up because i'm too concerned about costume and presentation in that sense where you can be grotesque but you're not doing it to scare the audience they're in on it with you so when I was doing the variety, uh, sort of high-end, the absinthe-style variety shows, I was wearing skin-tight rubber, full-length dress, but it was red and white, so very circus clown. And I used to call myself a, like a crowd dominatrix, and it was a bit like I was a genitalless clown. A very sexy, but also not... Overtly, not se- right,
0: overtly sexual. Sexy, but not overtly sexual, perhaps.
1: Or if any, it's probably the other way around. Uh, overtly sexual, but not sexy. got it. Like got it. it
0: oh, wow. I, I could picture it just have seen, having seen you perform so often. I love it.
1: And that was sort of with my, uh, that was kind of with the variety life. Because then what happened after that was I I got meningitis and really full on burnout from touring for 15 years hardcore. Took me a couple of years to recover. And I was trying to figure out what within that recovery time. And I decided after years of putting on my own variety shows and consistently not being let down by production, but not, being, not having production deliver the standard I wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, what if you flip it? What if every bit of attention to detail, you just go 180? So I'm obsessed with attention to detail. I'm going to take all production out of this. I'm going to make there be no such thing or need for a backstage, and I'm going to make it deliberately messy, but I'm going to create a world that is so tight that just like Red Velvet can hug you, so can cardboard. And I would also I was also very... Passionate about the fact that in live entertainment, we were still poo pooing uh, people being on their cell phones. And it was like, why? When you go backstage, you pick your phone up. We've changed. Let's move with the times. Stop berating them and going off stage and being a hypocrite.
0: So you're describing, I think, what is going to become the Misbehave uh, game show that exactly. took Vegas by storm some years ago. You've launched a show. It's mm-hmm. on the strip, it's in Bally's, which is, you know, strip center. You're in this beautiful room. What did that feel like? What did it feel like performing in Vegas?
1: Well, it was interesting. I mean, there was a point in a sense when you are on a, on the hustle in that, on that level, you don't necessarily get a chance to take a moment and go, holy crap, I'm performing my show on the strip and I'm a strip headliner. You just go, Oh God, what have we got to do now? Next. Okay. And then next. And you sort of don't necessarily give yourself the space to breathe out. So very proud, but also just like, get on with it. And then the experience in terms of the audience, and I do believe that it strengthened the show a hundredfold. Because what happened was the strip, the bally's audience were way more conservative, way older than I was used to playing. And what I, what the game show was, this incredibly queer, subversive, controlled chaos, uh, interactive show. You walk in there, and you are cut, you know, covered with what essentially looks like homeless person signs, trans flags, pride flags. Can't move for it, right? And the audience was sort of, median audience was 60 to 70 year old Republicans that were staying at Bally's. That's about right. That checks. Mm. Checks. Yeah. And, and so the thing is, what happened was there wasn't a butt up, but it was the show had to adapt for that. Mm. And what I learned immediately was the show could. Because what we're really saying is um, the nuts and bolts of the game show is you are free to do whatever you want. But so is everybody else. So be nice, eh? that's really the gist of it and what it did was it honed that message in so what would happen is and i'm gonna bad american accent coming up but i would get you know, sort of classic trumper someone who is not going to like me this show what it stands for who i am my coaster all of these things and yet they right? land in the audience land in the audience they stay for the whole show and at the end of the show when they come up to take a picture with you you know little lady I disagree with your politics, but I agreed with everything you said. (laughs) And that was, I would say, that was the most consistent feedback I would get from the audience. So it made the show much stronger. It made it bulletproof in that setting. You've got 15 75-year-olds who all voted for Trump, probably aren't going to like you, and you've got to spend the next hour with them. That's not their problem. That's your problem. And it was a delightful problem that was because of the uh, flexibility of the show. Because the show is basically saying, hey, humanity's alright if we're all just alright with each other. I now feel that that show is Mm. bulletproof anywhere because of the strip.
0: But that show at Bowie's did come to an end, how how did that happen?
1: It came to an end, I mean, largely it came to an end because it was, um, as with anything, there's a certain tipping point. And so there was a certain point where there's no uptick, you can smell COVID on the horizon And it just made more sense so we pulled we pulled about a week before the the world closed
0: what happens from there
1: so i went over to do a a knockabout show at this festival with a view that this would be the sort of prelim to what we would get what i was going to do in vegas this was in december 2019 then january 2020 was the festival i'm i do follow the news quite heavily so i'm like i'm smelling something strange in the world I get back to Vegas at the beginning of February 2020. And we were just about to start everything with a Cheap Shot, with this project with Ryan. And then the world closed.
0: Ryan Doherty, again, is a, a, a developer of the downtown area, involved in a lot of things that people might know Commonwealth. Uh, Vegas 7 was a project of his, which was a magazine for a while, on and on and on. So you're talking to Ryan and.
1: And what I did for those two years was I worked um, with them to spin uh, Commonwealth into a speakeasy because obviously they're playing with an area that's new to them, but not to me, which is in a way site-specific and immersive and playing with a smaller amount of people for a bespoke experience versus filling the place. Because during COVID, filling is not an option. And then fast forward in this strange old time we've had for the last few years, uh, construction finally started and, you know, considerably later than planned, thank you, the world, <laughs> we opened our doors um, at the beginning of April.
0: So in the old Don't Tell Mama space, which is right right on Fremont East, like can't miss it, uh, is a new club it's called Cheap Shot. That's the name of the the space. Mm-hmm. And yeah. now it's open to the world and you decide to put a show in there. And that show is called Misbehaves Mavericks.
1: It is indeed.
0: All right. So tell me about how Mavericks came about and what Mavericks is.
1: Thank you. Um, Well, I felt that the space was so beautiful that the game show is so messy, Uh, with joyously messy, but it didn't feel like the right fit. The low hanging fruit didn't feel like the right fit to open. And I felt what was really would be fantastic for downtown uh, is a fast moving high turnover variety show because it's a relatively safe bet because it can appeal to everybody. And I, I, it felt like downtown needs a show show. You know, there are plenty of brilliant shows downtown, but they are, it's the same as within a fringe festival. They don't encapsulate a thing. They are their own thing. So and, and let me them- just throw
0: an amen in there as being basically a lifetime downtowner, uh, a show of, of what you have now created. And I can't wait to try to describe this show with our audience um, was what we've been waiting for in my mind uh, i I, I, I just love this show and so before i just get too fanboy on it describe your variety show mavericks
1: so i've put on variety shows since 2005 and i'm as i said earlier with the high maintenance clowns i am overly zealous and passionate about my casting because for me i like my entertainment simple so for me i don't need story i never have For me, I don't consider myself an artist. I consider myself an entertainer. And the difference for me, and these are just mine for myself, but is an artist is someone who does what they feel they need. An entertainer, I am there for the audience. I am not, it's it's immaterial what I would like to do. What do they need, right? What is good for them? So with this variety show, I decided to do exactly what I've done in every variety show I've done, which is go, Lots of good acts with different dynamic pacings and different skill sets put in the right running order. Yeah. Fingers crossed. Here we go. I
0: mean, it's that curation that sets it apart. I mean, it's just such an easy flow, but you never know what's coming next. And sometimes you're jolted. Sometimes you get some time to recover. Sometimes you do not give the audience a chance to recover. It's just wonderful because you don't know where you're going to go next emotionally. Yeah. You know, also like some really talented performers who I've never seen before. I, I, are they local? Are they people that you bring in? or is it a mix? How does that mix. work?
1: It's a mix. So, for example, like uh, if I speak to there's a singer I'm working with a lot in Mavericks at the moment called Trisby Phantom Magnetic. He's a local singer. For me, he moves my soul every night, breaks my heart every night. Alex, Alexandria Beauregard. Amazing. She does like a flash dance, wet ass pussy mashup. So I believe like for me, it's I might look under different rocks. I might be looking for different things. I have got my flavors of what I hunt out like a truffle hound as well. And on top of that, I wanted to bring in talent that deserves to play on any amazing stage, but that maybe gets overlooked or bypassed, maybe isn't known about, but I do know about them, et cetera. But it's, that, it's, my, it's my never ending box of goodies. It's only constrained by budget. <laughs> well, so you know the way it, of the world. Money, the way of the world. I know, I know. But dear God, so it's a mix. It's a mix of locals and talent I bring in. The other thing I also like having at Mavericks is because it's a fun stage to play. And one of the things I learned running a um, venue in Glastonbury, incidentally called Mavericks, um, is and the same with Edinburgh. Actually, running late night stages at the Edinburgh Festival, the trick to having an electric stage is if you walk, if a performer walks in and if their first response is, "Ooh, I want to play that, you've won. Because if you can create a space, doesn't matter how big or small you are. Like I could, if if I approached a very famous star and say, I don't need your name, you will not be publicized, but I saw you like the look of that stage. Do you want five minutes? That's a reasonable and realistic conversation. I don't need anything from you apart from the live exchange you're going to give these people and me right now, not going to advertise, you know, not going to leech off you, but boy, doesn't that stage look like fun? And I would say Matt King and Face are really good examples of that, right? Like, Matt does enjoy playing that stage. It's lovely because I enjoy him playing that stage and the audience get a right, get a right treat. So,
0: Miss Beef, let me ask you this. What is the biggest difference then? between performing on the strip as you have and now performing off the strip downtown as you are.
1: I think that every show on strip has to struggle with the invisibility of millions of dollars worth of money going into researching how to make it as hard as possible for an audience member to be ready to see a show. Right, and I'm sure that's tied into gambling and the floor and everything like that, but you have to work so hard to buy the ticket, to find the showroom the ticket is in, to then get in and sit down in your seat. So you've already got a hell of a job as a performer on Strip to just get them to a neutral point. I've watched shows on Strip where none of the audience knew the show had ended or knew that you were supposed to clap at the end of the show. Because what has told them that? Nothing. And that's nobody's fault. It's just, it's just that the, stack, the, the deck is stacked for something else. And we are auxiliary on the Strip. So I think for me, the difference is that you have a more alive audience. They have had less nulling scent of a hotel, um, weird ass lighting that sort of puts you in a strange mood, you know, spending 40 minutes locating the venue, all of that gone. You just walk in and you're there. So there's that definitely plays a part.
0: And you have that mix, right, of local and tourists, which is not really a, a Strip thing, not to the no. level that your show is,
1: right? Well, and this is the very lovely, flattering, humbling thing I've found with Mavericks so far is I love the downtown crowd, but I love the people on the Fremont Street experience. I love the tourists on the free. I love bottom feeders. My God. Do you know the laughter of a poor person is a lot louder and longer than the laughter of a rich person? Right? Right. So for me, I am here. Widen that demographic, mofo. So there's that. Definitely in spades. But what I'm very flattered and humbled for here is that three quarters of our crowd every single night are locals and they're fantastic crowds you know they are not because they're also appreciating what was rife in vegas's beautiful untouchable entertainment history is they are also responding to the space because i think something happened in the great purge where the spreadsheet people just got a little heavy-handed and with haze and economy, but clever lighting, and all of these little details, you come in and you're like, I feel like I am in a nostalgia bubble I never experienced.
0: It's a nostalgia bubble of the future.
1: Because I believe that the future for Vegas, um, sustainable model future, is you go back to the lounges, is you have entertainment as both, you know, either complimentary or like range that stuff out again. Because if you have people playing loose and live in a lounge, it's infectious. And in a way, we're leaning into that, both from a size point of view and a mood point of view, because you should walk in, you should feel like, oh, my God, I'm excited. I'm looking forward to this, and I don't know what's going to happen.
0: Misbehave, the provocateur behind Mavericks at Cheap Shot, uh, a wonderful new space downtown Las Vegas. Misbehave, thank you so much for coming on CityCast Las Vegas. It was an absolute delight.
1: My absolute pleasure. Thank you, sir. Very much enjoyed it.
0: Before you go, a couple of things you should know. Thanks to the rising cost of natural gas, Envy Energy will raise our power bills beginning next month. An average customer in a single family home will see their bill go up about $10. At least they waited until triple digit temperatures are just about behind us. A year ago, the school district began a new grading policy. Students can now retake tests if they fail and classroom behavior is no longer counted against them. Fast forward to now, the district says its test scores are up across the board, but some critics argue that the new policy adds to teacher workloads and is watering down grading standards.
1: Well, doing David's work for him right now, dear God. Anyway. That's all for today here on CityCast Las Vegas. If you enjoyed the show, go tell a friend. If you didn't, keep it to yourself, eh? Now, make sure you're following the podcast and then subscribe to our brilliant morning newsletter. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Chat soon. Misbehave. Actually, we have had very few walkouts at Mavericks. There was one time where, so the fact that I brought up Jesus, there was one time where he blessed someone a little hard and they left in the intermission. <laughs>